Okay, good. Um, Chris, thank you so much for praying. You basically prayed <laughs> what I was going to say. So, um, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there we go then. <laughs> um, Good. So uh, we are in the second week uh, of our three-week series um, on uh, money. And uh, the title of this week is Whose Money Is It Anyway? So uh, last week, uh, Tim was with us uh, from Trinity. And for anybody who (coughs) wasn't there, I really encourage you to uh, get onto Google Podcasts or however it is you access uh, the historical podcast. uh, preaches uh, from here uh, and catch up with that. It was a really, really brilliant overview, big picture overview uh, of uh, what uh, the Bible teaches about money, um, drawing from all sorts of different uh, verses and uh, particularly focusing in on generosity. Um, so um, that was really good. Catch up with that if you can. Um, one of the reasons that we are doing this series uh, is uh, we, it's, uh, the proper title for it is Christ in the Cost of Living Crisis. Actually, for a lot of people, um, money is a big issue at the moment. Uh, and we wanted, as a church, uh, to, uh, or as, a, as, as two churches, to preach into it and to teach into it, um, just to show what the Bible really um, has to say about this t- subject. Uh, And this week and next week, uh, we're particularly focusing uh, on what Jesus had to say about money. Uh, And the passage we're going to look at today is from Luke. Um, So that's up up there on that slide. If you want to turn to that, uh, we'll be looking at it in a minute. Okay, so just while you're doing that, um, the uh, next um, slide I've got um, is a pie chart. You can't do a talk about money without having some kind of graph. So here we go. Whose money is it anyway? Um, And this here uh, is a model uh, which was debunked last week by Tim. You'll be relieved to know, Duncan. Um, But (laughs) which uh, actually a lot of the church, um, a lot of people in the church tend to think in this kind of way. uh, That uh, tithing means giving away 10% of your money. um, And uh, Tim taught us what that kind of really meant in the Old Testament and so on. Uh, But uh, a lot of people think in this way, so I've put this up. uh, And uh, you can see uh, the big blue bit, 90%, uh, that's mine. And the green bit, 10%, that's God's. And I give that bit away. I have actually, until quite recently, thought quite similarly uh, to this. Uh, You have your tithes here, and then you have offerings on top. Um, And I want to make a maybe slightly controversial statement. Tithing is dangerous. It's dangerous because of the 10%, and it's dangerous because of the 90%. And we're going to look at those two bits as we go through uh, this morning. Jesus told uh, his followers... uh, to not to worry about money. He doesn't want them to be anxious about what they have. Um, and uh, in Luke, um, it's, it's in all, in, 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 you can read it in more than Luke, but Luke particularly has, uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is in Luke 6, uh, right through uh, to the, the kind of whole central bit of Luke's gospel, uh, the way that Luke recounts the story uh, of um, what Jesus taught 
um, he keeps coming back to money. He keeps putting these things uh, about money and these teachings that Jesus has into those central chapters. And that's why we're looking uh, at Luke. And you might wonder, why has he not picked uh, the, that bit about being anxious uh, for this morning? Well, the reason for that uh, is Colin's going to talk about it next week. Um, and the thing about worrying about money, a lot of people do... Um, and I think this pie chart, if we think about it kind of in an unhelpful way, the 90% can be unhelpful because there's a pressure on that 90%. How am I going to carry this responsibility for this 90% myself? I've got to get my rent or my mortgage out of that. I've got to get bills, food, um, holidays, hobbies, whatever else you, you spend your money on out of that 90%, how is that going to work? Is my uh, pie chart overall getting bigger or is it shrinking? Um, and we can find us, it can lend itself uh, to fear, actually. Fear can creep in around that 90%. What about the 10%? This is where I want to read uh, from Luke uh, 14 verse 25, and this is going to come up on the screen, uh, but if you turn to it, do, uh, do follow along. It says, large crowds were tra traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Excuse me. You might be thinking, why on earth did he pick that one? He could pick anything out of that. All those things Jesus taught about money. He just said that there's a whole load in Luke and he picked this one. Well, I want to focus in. This is a difficult to understand passage, but I want to understand it by starting by focusing in on the bit that's obviously about money. And that's the bit in the middle. Uh, and we've got this guy who's building a tower. Let's call him Tower Guy. Um, On the face of it, Tower Guy is pretty rich and he's pretty stupid uh, with it too. So maybe Jesus is teaching us here about financial prudence, how to be careful with your money. Tower Guy is a reckless spender. He doesn't check before. Uh, he's certainly not employed an accountant. Any accountants here? No? Okay, good. <laughs> Fine. Um, but... He's not checked if he's got enough money uh, to finish the work. 
interestingly, just a little side note here, um, I have seen this kind of thing or heard about this kind of thing having actually happened in real life. On the next slide, we've got a picture uh, of a building which I've worked in. Uh, this is the uh, University of Bristol Chemistry Building. And something that not very many people know about this, um, if you walk up the left-hand side where that guy you can see there is walking, um, that's the way to the main entrance. If you look at the bricks, you go about two-thirds of the way up, and all the bricks match all nicely together. And then there's this line, and they don't quite match above it. And what happens um, is, I don't, does anyone here work for a university? No, okay, I've got no accountants, nobody works at university. There's a lot of university politics that can go on in universities. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday at a kids' party. Um, and uh, what happened was the, the head of chemistry, he wanted to build this great building. It's one of the best, you can see it's architect design, it looks amazing. Um, he wanted to build this great building in the middle of uh, the uh, university area. Uh, and he had his plans and he knew that he hadn't been given enough money by uh, the vice-chancellor who's in charge. Um, so what he does is he goes and builds the building anyway and he, until, we, until he runs out of money. And then the building sits there and it's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Does Br the University of Bristol want to look like a fool to everybody who's seeing this building? It's right up on the top of a big hill. So everyone can see <laughs> that this building isn't finished and it's <coughs> sitting there. So of course he gets the rest of his money so he can finish the building. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, so it, is this about being savvy? But actually, I think, you were saying this is, this is hard to understand. You have to understand the middle bit about Tower Guy by looking at the bits before and after. Um, a lot of the Bible works in that way. Um, and you've got this thing about families, and it's very strong about... Uh, if anyone does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And he finishes by saying, if you don't give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. There's a theologian uh, that uh, a few of you, some of you might have heard of. It's a guy called Tom Wright. Um, I love reading his stuff. It's really good. Um, highly recommend. Um, Tom Wright thinks that Tower Guy is King Herod. King Herod is the king at the time of, uh, the, uh, of Jesus. And King Herod is pouring huge sums of money into extending the temple. There's a, a picture uh, of uh, a model of it. This is in uh, Jerusalem. You can go and see this model. And this is what uh, King Herod was building. He was making something much bigger this beautiful big centre uh, of, of worship uh, in the centre of Jerusalem. And the work went on for a long time, and um, this was something that was you know, well, well known, that was what was going on. Um, the thing is, King Herod's in the pocket of the Romans, and this is a source of deep shame for the Jewish people. They wanted their nation to be free, they wanted their nation to be unoccupied. So a lot of them wanted a better king who would declare war and get rid of the Romans. And that's what that second bit is about. So Tom Wright says, where he says, I suppose a king's about to go to war against another king. So when Jewish people were giving their taxes, they, they went to the temple to give the money. Um, and 
it went to help to help build this great and this beautiful building. This is supposed to be the, well, it was the place of connection between heaven and earth. This is where you go to meet with God. And it made sense to people as they were giving their money that one day it would go through um, a better king's hands who would fund armies who would set uh, Israel free. So Jesus is speaking to people when he tells a story about the heart that they have when they give their money. What are their dreams about what that money will achieve? Often we talk about investing in the future. These people, as they give their money, they want Israel to be glorified and they want Israel to be liberated. They want Israel to be free. And Jesus is speaking into the dream of Israel being glorified and the dream of Israel being free. And he's showing them that actually everything's a bit squiffy here. And he even uses the word tower to talk about the temple, which is incredibly controversial because actually tower refers back to a story right back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 11. Uh, There's a tower there called the Tower of Babel. uh, And this is uh, a word play. And so the Babylonians um, had uh, the the word for Babel, or sound a bit like Babel, was the, uh, they called it the gateway to the gods. So these people who are building a tower in Genesis are saying, we're going to make ourselves so great that we can uh, be like gods ourselves. And then, of course, um, what happens is God confuses their languages and um, this whole tower comes crumbling down and he takes these self-centered, self-sufficient, self-idolizing dreams uh, and turns them to dust. So that's all very interesting. Maybe I find it interesting. Maybe you don't. Thank you for bearing with me (laughs) while I've geeked out through that section there. Um, What about us? The thing is, money, effort, and time are all resources that we have that build things. And part of what makes us unique as humans is our ability to imagine something in our minds that doesn't exist yet and then work at that dream, that plan in our minds, and make it into something that's real, that does exist. And we can use our resources to build well, and the Bible's very clear about that, but just as this passage makes it equally clear, even the best intentions can get distorted into building something that's actually about glorifying ourselves and not God. So I said at the beginning that tithing uh, is dangerous. I want to um, talk about three ways that we can make this 10%, if that's what we choose to give. Uh, Obviously, as um, Tim talked about last week, it doesn't doesn't have to be 10%, whatever you you give, what you decide uh, to give uh, to God. Here are three ways that we can make that about ourselves 
and not about God. And the, these are just three ways. These are things that I have done. There are probably many other ways that we can make giving about ourselves and not about God. These are things that I've done at different points in my life. Um, so I just share these with you in case they're helpful. So the first way uh, that we can um, give and it not be helpful and actually be about ourselves and not about God uh, is that we forget about it completely. So you give your money and it's like a, a bill payment. It's like your rent or your mortgage. It's like that bit's just gone, write it off. And actually that's not consistent with the way that people gave in the New Testament at all. Um, very often as people are giving, the, it's closely associated with prayer. And that's really important because actually what we give to, we care about. And if you're just writing it off and you never think about it again, then it's not engaged giving. And that's, I would argue, is not scriptural. The second way is what, to, what do I get back? Because this is where you think about your giving um, in a bit like a club membership. So I'm paying my subscription fees to the church. I have to, the, the church teaches that I should give 10%, therefore I give my 10% because that's what they told me to do and that's what I have to do to be a member of this club. And that goes uh, to fund a pastor, it goes to fund an administrator, it goes to fund a, ch- a youth leader. And if you're thinking in this way, then all of those things, particularly those ones where you're paying people, then those people, well, I've paid for them. They, they need to serve me. They need to make sure that I'm happy and, you know, they're, well, they're basically in my pocket, aren't they, really? <laughs> That's a really, really dodgy way to build a church. <laughs> the point of working for God is that you work for God. And not for men. And the third one, I think, is the most subtle. As an investment to build my church. This is quite hard to spot. Does my glory, my giving, glorify Jesus? Or am I more focused on the project of church? Jesus said, I will build my church, you go and make disciples. So if our motivation in giving is that our church will be bigger, better, more attractive than the next one, then actually that's building a tower. And it's not going to end well. So what are we to do? I picked out three things here. First of all, uh, give sacrificially. You should give an amount that you notice. So um, Jesus points out when he goes to the temple uh, and he sees uh, rich people giving loads of money and making a big noise about it. And there's a, uh, um, a widow that goes and gives just a tiny, all she has, just a few coins. And Jesus says, she gave more because she gave everything that she had. 
So the 90-10 model just doesn't figure there at all. Because for these rich people, the 10% is it's easy. But if you don't have much, giving can be much more painful and much more challenging, but actually much more rewarding. If we give an amount that we notice that makes a difference. Secondly, um, throughout, the, throughout Luke's Gospel, throughout all the Gospels, but I've particularly look, been looking at Luke's Gospel uh, as I've prepped this, um, and through into Acts as well, you can see giving is so often associated with um, the poor. And uh, you see people giving uh, to help those who are in need. And thirdly, and I think this is kind of where I want to land this, um, is heart-led and not duty-led. It's really easy to make a rule, to make a 90-10 rule or whatever it is, whatever your rule is. But having a heart that says, I want to see God at work, what do I have that God can use? actually encourages us into a genuine relationship uh, with God and with other people. And following a rule can never mimic this kind of life. And I don't say, say this as a person standing before you, that I've got this sorted. Absolutely, I've got a long way to go. But it's really clear when you look at scripture, it's about our hearts. So what the, I think the fundamental problem with the pie chart I showed at the beginning is actually that it looks like we're dividing our money, our resources, between ourselves and God. And the point is that actually it's all God's. And incredibly, he gives us a choice about how much we give away, how much we use for other things, and the bit we're using for the other things is actually still his. It's just that he's given it back to us to use for that stuff. <coughs> and Jesus returns uh, to this, these kind of ideas that we've been looking at in this passage uh, later. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, um, there's a real person that comes to Jesus and there's uh, a discussion between them. And this guy is really rich, he's a ruler, um, and uh, he asks Jesus a question and there's... The, I said there's a discussion that goes on and then Jesus says to him I want you to give away everything that you have Jesus is seeing his heart and he's exposing it by asking that question and it says that he went away sad because he had much and the disciples say how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God it echoes what was at the end of the passage we just read. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. But I don't think the point is that we are being asked by Jesus to give ourselves to a life of complete poverty and destitution. The point is we give everything to him and he's an incredibly generous God and he gives us the choice 
and if he gives us all the other stuff back to use for his glory. And he wants to walk with us in that. And the punchline of the story is not that the rich guy who came to Jesus is sad. The punchline is in verse 27. That's on my last slide here. Uh, it says, oh, we don't have the slide, never mind. It says, what's impossible for man is possible for God. That's actually the centre of the Christian message. It's impossible for us to reach God by ourselves. It's impossible for, we can, nobody can ever build a tower to God. Nobody can ever do it in their own effort. Managing money well on our own is impossible. But what's impossible for man is possible for God. So I'm just going to finish. I'm going to hand back to, to Duncan in just a sec. I just want to say I don't want to finish this uh, with um, some kind of challenge uh, to um, say, you know, well, I, I want to give more money or whatever it might be. That's something for you to agree between you and God. So I just want to ask very simply that you go away from here and you just spend a bit of time with Jesus and say, from what I've heard this morning, is there any part of my heart that is holding something back? If I came up in front of you, Jesus, what are you asking me to give up? What's holding me back from walking closely with you and with other people? And then do something about it. <laughs>